Hello and welcome back to the KLJX LP in Flagstaff. This is KJAC Radio. This is the Double Double. My name is Gabriel Dixon and my co-host, Brendan Martin, as always. Would you like to introduce yourself? Hey guys, it's Brendan again. Uh, it's good to be back. And our uh, guest of the half hour is Arthur Meyer. Hey guys, how's it going? Uh, glad to be back. You also tune into my podcast called The Football Foundations on Spotify. All right, and you already know where it is. We're getting right back into the NBA playoffs. It was a pretty exciting game last night. The Lakers versus Rockets. The Lakers came out on top with a 117-109 win. Anthony Davis and LeBron James combined for 62 points. That game was a pretty outstanding performance. Otherwise, other thoughts? What do you think about this, Brendan? Um, I think that the Lakers finally stepped up uh, last night. I think they found a, a, a good counter for the Rockets small ball team. The Lakers know that they have the advantage in terms of height, but what they really lack in compared to the, to the Rockets is, is speed, especially. And they're able to do a good job of countering that just by playing power basketball, you know, just physically going to the paint. LeBron uh, plenty of times went into the paint. Anthony Davis, of course, a game high 34 points. Uh, I think they found a good counter. Uh, I think their supporting players also did well. Rondo, who came, who's come in after his fractured thumb injury, came in and did well, scored 10 points. Uh, Markeith Morris also went off. He went, he had like, he went like four for five from three, um, especially early on, especially. So I think they found a good counter. And I think um, that Frank Vogel, especially, has made sure that there is a playbook that they can have against a small ball team like the Rockets. Yeah, definitely was a great performance by the Lakers all around. Arthur, do you have any um, comments you want to say about it? Yeah, I just think the Lakers did a great job defensively last night. Sure, they it was 109, but they held them to only a 44% field goal percentage, 41 from three, which obviously, you know, that's not a great holding them to. But they're able to shut down Westbrook completely. You look at him only 10 points, four for 15, one for seven from the three-point line. He Obviously, he got his boards, 13 boards. But then he only had the four assists last night. I just think if the Lakers want to continue to do well in this series, they're going to have to play the way they did last night. Physical, bully ball, and making sure it's defense first. That's kind of the scary thing in my estimation, honestly, is that the Lakers had a pretty good game all around. Markeith Morris had a stellar performance going five for five to start out with, really showing that he could shoot the ball, was red hot to start with. So the Lakers were clicking on all cylinders. And the Rockets were playing pretty good. Eric Gordon had 24, 24 points, I believe. James Harden had a decent performance. But Russell Westbrook didn't play that well. And they only lost by eight points. And I really feel like this is going to be a long series. I feel like it might be game going to game seven. In my estimation, if I was a betting man, I wouldn't do anything below that. What do you guys think about that, Brendan? Uh, yeah, I agree. It's going to be a long series, um, especially with how inconsistent Russ has been. You know, maybe part of it still that he's coming off an of injury. Um, but I think, yeah, just the each team is going to find a way to, to counter the other. You know, one one game, one team is going to do well. And then the next game, the other team is going to figure out what they did wrong. And then they're going to be able to, to find a counter. So I, I would agree. I think it's going to go maybe six or seven. Uh, probably no less, no less than that. Yeah, right now for me, I'm thinking it's going to go six games. Um, I still don't know exactly which way it'll go six games. However, I won't be surprised if it goes seven. But 
both these teams have seemed pretty evenly matched. They've both been able to find ways to counter the other guys. And with that being said, I think most likely it'll go six. One team's going to finally win back-to-back games, and that'll be it for the other team. Six or seven, I could definitely understand where you'd be coming from with that point, with that angle. But how much do you think the Rockets' success is going to depend on Russell Westbrook's success? Brendan? I think it's huge. I think they, they can't win without him. I mean, we saw that last night. I mean, he is a paramount of that team. You know, when they officially went small ball, when they traded Clint Capella, you know, the paint was wide open for him. You know, that was his go-to, you know, just get it to the basket. That's what he does. And because we know that his problem right now is shooting. You know, he couldn't hit from three. He can barely hit from mid-range. So it's just without him, you know, the Rockets are done. I, I expect him to come back. I expect him to – I don't expect him to have multiple bad games in a row like this, especially in the playoffs, because he's hungry just like anyone else is. And I also expect the Rockets support players to um, – to step up each PJ Tucker is known to be one of the best corner three point shooters in the league. And that's exactly what he did. Um, so as long as they the Rockets are able to, to hold on to that and, you know, push the Lakers away on defense, then, then they should be fine. As long as Russ is there too. Very good point by you, Brendan. What do you think about the Arthur? Yeah, I think it, it will have, Russell will have to play well, uh, for them to win these games. But I don't think he's necessarily going to have to score to play well. I think he's just got to get better. He's got to be able to get more assists, pass the ball around more, because there's so many guys on this team that can make baskets. And also, I agree on the supporting cast has to kind of step up. P.J. Tucker did play very well last night. So did Eric Gordon. But you look at the bench, Jeff Green played 22 minutes and had no points, only shot twice. I think if you're a team like that, you can't just rely on your top five guys to play all 48 minutes. You got to be able to pass the ball around, get some supporting players going, and then obviously James Harden's going to go off. We know that uh, he's probably going to miss 20 buckets, but he's going to make 15. So as long as Russ can play well enough to get the other people going, he's not going to have to put up 20, 25 a night. He's just going to put up 15 to 18 a night. All right, back up, back up a little bit. You stay. You're going right where I was trying to lead into. James Harden. How much of this? Depends on his shoulders. He's been known to come up short in the playoffs, and he hasn't played particularly up to his standards in these playoffs. Arthur, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's going to do – I think James Harden is obviously the number one guy on this team. If he gets going, it's going to get the other guys going. It's going to get Russell Westbrook more opportunities. It's going to get him more opportunities to get assists, to pass the ball around. Once James Harden gets going, that's when it opens up for P.J. Tucker. As Brendan said, P.J. Tucker's one of the best corner three shooters in the league. If James Harden gets going and putting up and shooting well, not just shooting and missing and then shooting and making, like not going 30%. If he's making 50 to 60%, that's going to help open up those uh, shots for P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, Robert Covington. It's going to open the offense more for them. Yeah, yeah. I, I obviously understand that point. James Harden's a huge part of their team, but how much do you think he has, he actually has to step up, Brendan? Uh, I mean, like you said before, Harden's had a history of not showing up in the playoffs. And, you know, we've seen games where he can just go like ice cold, where he shoots like one for 17 from three. And we see him in the, uh, you know, in the arena, you know, hours after the game practicing that shot again. 
So, I mean, this team is built around Harden and Westbrook. They're both former MVPs. They're both still in their prime. Um, it was already hard with just Harden, just, you know, trying to carry the team into the playoffs. And clearly that couldn't get him far enough. So and they both have to show up. They both have to do their job because we know that LeBron and AD are more consistent. Definitely. I love the Rockets role players too. But go, moving back to the Lakers, Anthony Davis and LeBron James have been playing stellar so far. But what, is, what have you been seeing from the Lakers so far, Arthur? I was seeing, especially game one, they weren't able to figure out how to stop the small ball. They did it a little better last night. But they've got to do a little better against the small ball. Also, their bench, I mean, outside of last game. First, I'm going back to game one. Their bench wasn't helping enough. Um I'd like to see how Rondo improved into game two. Obviously had nine assists, 10 points, uh, played very well. But this team, it it is obviously surrounded by LeBron and Anthony Davis. So those two have to keep it going. However, they've definitely got to get those other guys going. Yeah, from what I've seen, they're really just a two-man show. And that's kind of how they were designed going into the year. And that's how they are right now. But, Brendan, have you seen anything else or – are you sticking with these comments? Yeah, I'm gonna stick with them. I mean, uh, I don't think I think going in going into the series, the you know, Lakers are the favorite. Um, they had the players, uh, the stars. They have you know the supporting cast that can come in. You know, maybe not consistently, but they have the really, like, supporting cast that can really uh, play well. Um, I'm just worried a little bit about injury because did they did have a few minor injuries after last game. Uh, Joel McGee had a Lanko injury. He had to leave early. And then uh, Deion Waiters had to leave after only three minutes. Apparently he had, um, I think, I don't remember what injury it was, but he had an injury. And so it's going to be, it's, I'm going to be interested to see if they play or how much they play next game, because I feel like both those players especially are vital to that supporting cast. Yeah, they definitely are. And I, like I said earlier, I think they're going to go seven games. It's a really interesting series. Rockets had their speed. They have the guard play, and with Avery Bradley on the Lakers, too, it's, they don't – Danny Green and Contavious Caldwell-Pope are great wing defenders, and like we saw in this last game, LeBron James took up on the role of guarding James Harden, and I believe he only had 27 points. Yeah, Double but he didn't shoot quick. as much this game. Yeah, he only had 27 points, but that was because LeBron James hindered him from that, in my opinion. Or at least he took upon that that role, or – or that challenge. James Harden is considered one of the best offensive players in our generation. And LeBron James is one of the best defenders when, when he really wants to be. So he really needs to take up that challenge. And he did last night. I like to see that. And Anthony Davis looked like a man amongst boys too, but I was really discouraged to see him when he was in the post against PJ Tucker, not try to back him down. Most of his shots were fadeaways, and I think he really needs to just pull up or uh, back back P.J. Tucker down. He's six six inches taller and 30 pounds heavier. I don't know why he's so scared of P.J. Tucker. But all right, we're going to move on to a different subject now. We're going to be talking about this Celtics-Raptors series. They're actually playing right now. The Celtics are absolutely creaming the Toronto Raptors. It's 73 to 47 in the third quarter as I speak. It's been a pretty tight series. It's still tied two to two. The Celtics gave up a 2-0 lead. Now it's 
2-2, like I just said, and the Raptors have been looking pretty well besides this game. What are your thoughts on the series, Brendan? I mean, it's an interesting series. Uh, like I said, Celtics started off strong, and then the Raptors came back and won the next two. Um, this is a, a, mat- a really good matchup. Uh, you know, for me personally, I didn't, you know, once Kawhi left the Raptors, I didn't know how much or how well that Toronto team was going to do, but they've shown to be just as good, if not better, you know, even without him, you know, they may not have that one bona fide star, but Pascal Siakam is, is very quickly emerging to be that next guy. And that team around them uh, is also really good. Um, I would say that this series can, even though the Celtics are up big right now in game five, I think the series can go either way. I personally was a big hater of, the Toronto Raptors coming into the series, and I still am. I think that their best quality is that they have great coaching in Nick Nurse, who is a phenomenal coach. We've seen it these past two years when he's been able to do him and the Masai Ujiri and the organization truly are an A-plus organization. And the players, they know their roles. I love I love Van Fleet. Kyle Lowry's uh I hate I hate on him a lot, but he's a really good player. He knows how to draw offensive fouls. He's number one in the league this year at that. You got people like Serge Ibaka and Marco Saul down low, really a formidable force in the front court. And then you got people like Pascal Siakam, Spicy P, really emerging as an all-star this year. Hasn't shown it too much in this in these playoffs. He's a young player though. He's just emerging on the scene. I don't want to be too harsh about people like that. OG Ananobi hitting that three-point shot in that, thir- in that third game really to push it. He really impressed me. It's a really – that team has a lot of continuity, more than probably three-fourths of the other teams in the NBA. Arthur, what is your outlook on the series so far? In all honesty, I think I'm going to go I- – I think the Celtics are going to take the next two games. Um especially with the way they're playing today. I re- I don't think the Raptors have a chance to come back today. And going into the game um, on Wednesday, I really think that the Celtics are kind of revamped after dropping two straight. And they really just kind of have everything. They have the three scorers, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, and Jalen Brown, and two great defenders in their starting lineup, and Marcus Smart and Daniel Thies. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong, but – they really have what you need to make a strong playoff push. And the Raptors, they have that too. However, I think the Celtics have it just on another level compared to the Raptors. The Celtics have played great in the first three games that they won. They played good in the game they lost that OJ on Anobi was able to hit the game winner, but just couldn't stop them at the very end. With that being said, I think with those, that starting core right there is enough alone to push them past these Raptors. Yeah, I think the Raptors are, like I was just saying, a formidable team. But I had going into the season, I had the Celtics coming out. But I don't anymore. On our previous episode last Monday, I had the Miami Heat coming out when they were only up 1-0 against the Bucks, And I believe so before the playoffs even started. I don't believe in the Boston Celtics mainly because I just, be- I just think that they're too young of a team. Jason Tatum plays pretty well when the spotlight's on him. But Jalen Brown doesn't. And Gordon Hayward didn't seem like too bad of an injury at first, but 
he's a solid scorer. He's someone that doesn't get too pressured. He'll still hit 17 to 20 a night, no matter what the circumstances are on average, give or take, obviously. And then Kemba Walker really hasn't been at full speed, and he's been he's been good, but he hasn't been great. So I haven't liked the Boston Celtics so far, but I do agree with you, Arthur. I don't know if they're going to win the next two. They're obviously looking like they're going to pull away with this game tonight and go a 3-2 in the series. And if I had to bet money, I'd probably bet them winning that sixth game. What, what about you, Brendan? Um, I mean, it's a tough bet no matter what. Um, you know, any given night, either this, either team can go off. But I would have to agree. I think, I would, I think the Celtics will win this series. Um, I think it will go to a game seven, but I mean, there's really no way to tell really just given how, by how close it is. But yeah, I just think that that backcourt of the Celtics is just too strong. Um, you know, they're, they're, every single guy, pretty much almost every single guy on that starting lineup is, you know, all-star caliber. Um, and that can't be said about the rocket or the Raptors, at least not yet. I think they can get there. But yeah, I think I think the Celtics take it, and I think that depending on what happens in the other Eastern Conference semis, um, I think they can also be a good match against you know Miami, who's leading that other series. Yeah, both those teams would be a good matchup against the Miami Heat. Which one do you think would be better, Arthur? I personally think that the um the Celtics would be a better matchup just because they do play great defense and they're coached very well by Brad Stevens. Just like that's how the heat play. They play great defense. They still play great offense also. And they have a great coach in Nick nurse. I think that they're such similar teams. I would just give the edge to the heat because they have a little more experience. They have Jimmy Butler, who is more of a proven leader compared to Kemba. Um, and, but however, I think that'd be the best matchup. The Raptors would still be a good matchup. However, I think the fact that they wouldn't have uh, someone to guard uh, Jimmy Butler would be the biggest problem. Yeah, I really see that being the the outcome of that series too. Jimmy Butler is the leader of that team, and he would expose that defense. I mean, Pascal Siakam has emerged as a really good defender, and I guess if you want, you could stick him on him, but I don't know who's going to guard Bam out of Bayou, I guess you could say Serge Ibaka. So it'd be a pretty good matchup too. I think both teams would honestly match up with them pretty well. But if I had to pick one, I'd go with the Boston Celtics. What about you, Brendan? Um, you know, I think in terms of matchups, I think personally, I would say the uh, the Raptors would be a good matchup because they have a few uh, uh, bigger guys. You know, they have uh, Marcus Gasol. Um, whereas they need someone to, to guard Bam, Bam Adebayo as well. You know, I think there is enough backcourt that can guard Jimmy. I'm sure they, they can find one person that can guard him fairly effectively, but I'm afraid of that, of that, the, the big guy mentality that, that Bam has. Cause you know, in the other series, Bams are doing an excellent job guarding Giannis, you know, it, you know, before Giannis even got hurt. So I think that would just be a, a better matchup uh, just from a viewer's uh, standpoint. But I can also see how the Celtics can be a good match too, considering I think you'd see a lot, uh, a lot of long-range shooting. You know, the Heat have some good uh, long-range shooting. Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, and then the Celtics. You know, that those guards can also shoot from deep. Um, so it really depends on what on what sort of uh, style you like. You know, do you like seeing the forwards? You know, get at the rim a lot. Do you like to see long-range shooting, which the league has kind of you know slowly uh, 
matured into a more like three point shooting league. So I think either way, you know, it's an, it'll be an excellent series. I definitely understand that. And my question is really, is there any way you guys seen Toronto win the series or is it just a foregone conclusion of both of you guys' minds that Celtics are going to win this? Arthur? I think there is a way Toronto can win this series, but that's purely if they can stop. Um, if they, they'd have to stop everyone because right now, especially in this game, if they're passing the ball around, all five starters have more than 10 points. And then another way, another thing they'd have to do is Pascal has really got to get going. He, he's obviously played good defensively, but offensively, they really need him. They need him to start putting those buckets in. Uh, they need to do what happened last year. I mean, it wasn't just Kawhi who won those playoff games. Fred Van Vliet came in and was scoring points. We saw him drop 30 in NBA Finals games, but we haven't seen him do that in this series yet. So I think that's the only way they can come out is if um, they need to get at least two guys going offensively and have to find a way to close out defensively. Yeah, I personally think this game – I personally think this series is going game seven. And in a game seven, it really is – it's really a toss-up. You really want to go with the superstars, but I just think that these superstars on Boston are too young. I don't feel like they're up for the task, really, when it comes down to it. And I feel like Toronto's a team that has won a championship already. They have championship pedigree. All of them feel like they've had that experience, and I think that they might pull away with it. Brennan, what do you think? Yeah, I would agree. I'd take the Celtics in this one. Um I mean, it's just, you know, they are young, but that can also be a strong suit, you know, given how young they are. They can be more explosive. Uh, they can also be hungrier. Um, and it's not like they're – they have veteran, you know, leadership. You know, Kemba's been around a while. Um, you know, he can lead those young guys in both uh, Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, I think it's going to go down to the wire and probably go down to the last few minutes of a, of a game seven. But, yeah, my, my pick would be the Boston Celtics. All right, well – the Boston Celtics are up 82 to 58 right now in the third quarter of a game five to decide who's going to take that to bring it up to three to two. Well, we're going to transition still in the NBA, but we're going to go to the Brooklyn Nets. They had a recent hire, a head coach, and that was Steve Nash. It was a good, it was a good pick, good selection in a lot of people's eyes and a bad selection in a lot of people's eyes for various reasons. But let's get your preliminary thoughts about it. What do you think about it, the hire, Brendan? I think it's the perfect hire for a Brooklyn Nets team. I mean, let's just remember who Steve Nash is. You know, he's a two-time MVP, won it back-to-back years. He's only one of 10 players to ever do that in back-to-back years. He's third all-time in assists. He's an eight-time All-Star. That's just him as a player, right? Obviously, as a coach, you need to have a, an awareness of what a player does. So – that on its own, I think Nash is a great pick. And a lot of people like to give the, 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 the higher flack because he's never had a head coaching position before. Um, but it's not like he's, he's completely new to the whole scene of a, of a coaching staff. Um, for the past five years, he's been in player development for the Golden State Warriors, which if Golden State, that's a team that Kevin Durant was on before he went on to go to Brooklyn. So there's already a good relationship there. Um, I know there were a lot of other names that for, that were um, on a list of being potential coaches, uh, Ty Lue. Um, and then, you know, they just got rid of Kenny Atkinson, who I think Kenny Atkinson will still be a good coach um, for another team. 
yeah, I think it's a great pick. Um, I'll, you know, there are plenty of options out there, but I think Steve Nash was one that I think a lot of people were sleeping on. And I think it's going to be, I think going forward, it's going to pay dividends. I don't want to mess up his name, but the former coach of the Brooklyn. Jacques Vaughn. Yeah, it's a Jacques Vaughn. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. Jacques Vaughn. He was in a, he he stepped down, I'm pretty sure, right? And he's an assistant coach. He's going to be the assistant coach, yeah. So they have a formidable – he might be able to help out Steve Nash with the X and, O's, X and O's along the way. So it might not be too much on Steve Nash's shoulders. It might just be kind of a symbol. Not, not as much as a – I don't want to say symbol, but someone that can galvanize the troops. He's the head coach. And they also have great assistants around him. What do you think about the Arthur? Yeah, I, I like the hire. Um, I personally think that former players are some of the, turn out to be some of the best coaches just because they know what the players are going through more. That's why I also would have liked the hire of Ty Lue. Uh, also with the fact that Ty Lue did win a championship. But I like the hire because I'm pretty sure, at least I've heard, that this is who the players chose. Kyrie and Kevin Durant both wanted Steve Nash to be their coach, especially Kevin after being with Steve Nash for year, for a few years in uh, Golden State. And so I, I like the hire. It's going to be interesting, though, especially with him not having any head coaching experience. But people forget he was one of the greatest point guards of all time. He, he, basically, he ran the offense for years in Phoenix, and he was the on-court coach every time he was on the court. No matter what, he was calling the plays. He knew exactly what to do, and there was not many players who played like he did. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of Hall of Fame or all-star point guards that have came out straight out of the league and became head coaches. We can go with Derek Fisher, Jason Kidd, uh, not not uh, Steve Kerr right away. He obviously was an assistant coach with the Spurs, and then um, – I think with Golden State, I don't know if he was an assistant coach with them before, but he was an assistant coach for a while, at least before. And then there's been a couple other coaches, obviously, along the way. But it's not like an unprecedented thing. He's a great Hall of Fame point guard, and those people are are supposedly know the game more than others. So that's why he's been put in this role. He can teach Kyrie Irving a little something more about his game. Kyrie Irving can listen to him because at least from what I've seen, Steve Nash is a very humble person. He's not going to come across as egotistic. He's willing to share. And I feel like Kyrie Irving will be receptive to that. And then as you said, Arthur, or was it Brendan? I'm not too sure that Kevin Durant already was, was coached or not coach, but Steve Nash was in player development with golden state warriors while Kevin Durant was there. So they have great relations with them already. So I think it's a perfect hire. And then you, you can mention people like Mark Jackson and Ty Lue, but Ty Lue is probably going to get this job with the Philadelphia 76ers, as a lot of rumors have been said. Obviously, there's nothing to be confirmed, but that's what the rumorville has been talking about. And I'd like to see that. I think he'd be a great fit with that team. Mark Jackson, I personally am a Chicago Bulls fan. Bring him over to Chicago, help him rebuild us. I think he deserves a second chance, obviously. Uh, what do you guys think about that situation? Do you feel like um, these guys, I don't want to say deserve, but do you think they should land a job this season with one of these teams? Because there's a couple teams that um, still need a head coaching job. There's Chicago. Um, Philly. 
there's Philly, there's Memphis not get rid of their guy. I think I was breaking up right there. Yeah, you Did you guys hear me? All right. Well, yeah, those are the coaches. What do you think about that, Arthur? Yeah, honestly, I think deserve is the right word. Uh, Ty Lue, we've seen him win a championship. Obviously, that was more of LeBron winning a championship for Ty Lue. But he still – he was a good coach. I mean, obviously, LeBron and him didn't click. Same with Kyrie and him. But I agree with that Philly pick. He'd be a great fit in Philly. He knows how to put together the superstars and keep them going at least. And then Mark Jackson, I yeah, I completely agree with it, with that. Um, I would like to see him go to the Bulls and help – rebuild a young team there yeah i don't i wouldn't say that he that they are like are should be forced into a position like that they want to go a certain direction that's totally fine there's only 30 30 of those jobs in the world so it's up to the owners when it comes down to it. what do you think brennan i mean it's a hard job like don't get me wrong you know it's a hard and it's a brutal job to where something one thing doesn't go right and you're out of there you know um larry fisdale former coach of the knicks i think he learned that the hard way you know they don't you know they don't have a, a great team around him and they give the guy the boot um so yeah those names that we had mentioned before the mark jackson's the kenny Atkinsons, the tyloos i think not only do they deserve it but i think they're also just blatantly like the right picks i mean they're the names that we're mentioning for a reason um you know it's all you know a lot of these teams that need coaches you know they're young no, they're not as high of a caliber as these other teams. So they need a good, you know, coach that can relate to these players that knows player development, which is why Kenny Atkinson was known as the sort of player development coach for that Nets team before they got, you know, Katie and Kyrie. And at that point, you know, they had to kind of blow the whole thing up. But yeah, I think those guys will find a head coaching job eventually if they want it, you know, because um, that is a hard job and it's a brutal job. So, but if they want it, I think there will be, you know, front offices that will be clamoring to get them. Yeah, David Fisdell is uh, another really good name. But as we know, there are two superstars that they will do anything for, signed off on that, on this hire, and that's really what made this go through. And you can't really dispute it if those guys are making the decision. But that's enough for this first segment. Arthur Meyer, thank you for joining us for this uh First half of the double-double. Would you like to say goodbye? Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, and if you guys want, you can check out my podcast, The Football Foundation. It'll also be on KJAC on Mondays from 5 to 6. All right, we'll be right back talking about the NFL, the top two teams in each conference. Stay with us. Welcome back to KLJX LP in Flagstaff. This is the double-double here. I'm, I'm your host, Brendan Martin, once again joined by Gabriel Dixon. And we are now joined by... Will Hopkins, Will, how you doing? How you doing, Will? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm sorry you guys cut out there. Oh, sorry. I'm excited. Get, no, no, no. That's on my Wi-Fi, man. That's not on you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's the, the price you have to pay right now. Um, so we're back. Uh, last time, we just finished talking about the NBA and the playoffs, uh, as well as uh, some coaching positions for the NBA. Now we're going to lead right into the NFL starting up this weekend. Um, this year is probably is looking to be just as exciting as before. Uh, the NFL seems to be going full steam ahead with the NFL season. Of course, there was no preseason, but now they're going to go full steam ahead in the regular season. Um, 
there are a lot of predictions that we can make uh, going in. Obviously, it's early, and a lot of things can change. You know, injuries, COVID, uh, anything can happen. Um, but we have a few uh, AFC and NFC predictions for who do we think can come out and represent that conference in the Super Bowl. Uh, Gabe, who do you think will be the winners of the AFC and the NFC? Well, it's very interesting. It's going to be a tough year for anyone. But I personally believe that the former Baltimore Ravens are not going to be in the top two in the AFC. I think that the Kansas City Chiefs will still be there at the number one seed. But the number two seed is going to be the Pittsburgh Steelers. And that's going to be the most interesting pick, obviously. People are going to shout at me for that. Eight and eight this year, or last year, 2019, with Duck Hodges and... I'm forgetting Mason his Rudolph. name. Mason, Mason Rudolph. Yeah, that got split open in the head by, <laughs> by Miles Garrett yeah. with the helmet. That's pretty, that's pretty hard to accomplish at 8-8. Eight and eight. And that mm-hmm. defense only got better. Their young defense, Mika Fitzpatrick still in his fourth year, I believe, ready to emerge at his peak performance. And I really believe that their team is just bound with Ben Roethlisberger, Juju Smith-Schuster, Chase Claypool, their second-round pick, and James Conner. I think that they're going to have a great chance at making that second pick. And then when I look towards the NFC, I personally don't see either of the teams that were the first and second seed last year being the first and second seed. I think I think that the first seed is going to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last year, having a 7-9 and nine record, Tom Brady joining the team, Leonard Fournette joining the team, Rob Gronkowski joining the team, the defense only improving, Shaq Barrett, one of the best edge rushers in the league. Oh, I can see them at the first seed this year. And then the second seed, I got the Seattle Seahawks with Russell Wilson. I personally feel like Russell Wilson is one of the better QBs in this league, top three, better than Tom Brady, right there with Patrick Mahomes. That surrounding cast that he has, that O-line is only getting a – it's not great. Never has been. But they got DK Metcalf another year, Tyler Lockett. Josh Gordon, and they got Greg Olson. And that defense is always known to be at least average. So I'm excited to see how this year stacks up for these teams. But those are my picks. Will, your thoughts? Well, so I agree with Gabriel in the same things that he said, which is that Kansas City will be the number one seed coming out of the AFC. I'm going to go with another outside pick, though. I like the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, I think you're coming out of a probably the weakest division in the conference. Uh, they did well last year with Philip Dorsett, who middle-of-the-road quarterback. I personally like Philip Rivers more than most people, and I think if you can get a solid offensive line in front of him, which Quentin Nelson is one of the best guards, and we saw what he did his rookie year to that offensive line. So I think they're only going to be better this year. Um, so I think if you give Philip Rivers the time, he's going to be a good quarterback. And I really like where the Colts 
the rest of the Colts roster lines up with just about everyone else in that division. Come playoff time, it could get a little dicey for them, but I think that they are going to cruise through their division schedule and the rest of their schedule doesn't look too tough. So I think they'll end up coming out as the second seed. Now, now, Will, I understand that. You know, you're my old co-host. You say crazy things a lot of times. I've heard that opinion a couple times now. People saying that the Indianapolis Colts are going to come out, saying that they're all, they were only a quarterback away last year. But I don't believe that. How much better is Phillip Rivers than Jacob and Jacoby Brissett? Oh, like I mean, realistically. Take a look at the experience. Experience is all you need is all like I need to point to, I think, in this debate right here. Phillip Rivers has been in the league since 2004. You know, that's he's going on his 16th year in the league. And it takes a lot to be in the league for that long. You also have to remember that this is a team that was completely blindsided last year by the fact that Andrew Luck was going to be retiring. I remember, no joke, the day I moved in, for my sophomore year of college, Andrew Luck announced it. NFL is starting up two weeks down the road. That's a crazy turnaround time. And I don't think any general manager, any coach is going to be ready for that. And the team still looked respectable. Still, they made the playoffs. Last, no, they got close to making the playoffs last year. Tennessee Titans just not like barely beat them to that wild card spot. So I think this is a team that could still look good especially coming out early in the season philip rivers i think is one of the guys who could pick up that offense really quickly see now i was kind of giving you a hard time honestly because i do like the acquisitions of jonathan taylor and i'm forgetting the wide receiver's name but chapman out of uh notre dame i believe uh yeah. i'm forgetting his first name but he's a he should be a good addition to that team along with ty Hilton. They did get rid of Eric Ebron, but they have one of the greatest offensive lines in the NFL right now. So I kind of see where you're coming from, but I'm, I'm waiting to see how statue Phillip Rivers looks. Brendan, what do you it's think about it? I'm just going to say that. I mean, uh, we'll talk more about the AFC South later, but you know, I have to agree with the sentiments that Gabe was saying. I mean, there's a difference between experienced, which I know Phillip Rivers does have that experience, and aged and last year i think it's safe to say that philip rivers was aged like he, he was already known for not being a mobile passer and having that offensive line is going to help but it can only do so much i mean jacoby Brissett did fairly well given the circumstances he was in you know being thrown in there as a starting quarterback for a team that started off really hot i mean they they beat the chiefs early on in the season and you know that's that division is going to be interesting to look at considering you know that is a pretty uh, i'd say a fairly weak division um, with teams that have, you know, that don't look to be as good as what they were last year. Um, and we saw the Titans, who were extremely good, you know, be the breakout team, the sleeper team that nobody was expecting. So as far as my predictions for AFC, NFC, I agree. The Chiefs are going to be right there again. Um, this season's going to be different, not only with COVID and everything, but I think the playoff brackets are different to where the one seed is the only, are the only team that get that first round by, which is, extremely important for a, a game as physical as football. So I expect the, the Chiefs to get that one, number one spot. And uh, as for the NFC, Gabe, you know, you're, you're, you're going to hate this considering your pick, but I'm going to stick with it. I think the New Orleans – I think this year is the time for the New Orleans Saints. They've been screwed over time and time again by bad calls, 
you know, you know, just insane miracles that come out of nowhere and bad overtime rules. And I'm going to stand by it. I think the overtime rules in the NFL are bad. Um, so I, I think, you know, with Drew Brees, you know, coming out at the end of his career, in order for him to be solidified as one of the best, you know, because he's already great, already going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, he's got to get that one more Super Bowl. And I think that he gets it. He's going to get close to it and maybe even get it this year. So I was kind of – I was kind of breaking up when you said you're one and two in the NFC. What was it? It was. So, you just said. I just. I said the Saints as my one. I don't know. I. I would have to think about my two. Okay. The Saints. So I want to. Pers- okay. Okay. Go. Wanna, go for it. Will. I want to. I want to talk about how Alvin Kamara has been the center of a lot of talk this week mm-hmm. because of his contract extension or lack thereof, and we've seen how that influences NFL locker rooms. When it's a quarterback, less so because they can kind of demand that money. But we've seen it with a number of running backs where they ask for a big-time payday and they don't get it and they get really upset about it and it impacts the locker room a lot. So I'm I'm curious, do you think that the Saints are going to be able to manage that sort of issue that they have this year? That's a good point. I mean, Alvin Kamara, definitely, I think he's one of the best running backs in the league. He deserves to get his money. But I think that's a common trend that we're seeing with the NFL now is running backs aren't getting the type of pay that, you know, they probably should deserve, you know, because running back is an extremely tough to position to where, you know, it takes a lot less time for you to, you know, get worn down by that position than, than any. Um, so, yes, I do think they got to keep Kamara. They got to keep the whole locker room happy, you know. But that team is has been around for a long like – around each other for a long time, and they're – they're stacked. They got amazing, you know, players on practically all positions. So, you know, given all that, I still think they're going to pull through. I think obviously Sean Payton's a great coach. And I think that they're going to be able to hold on to that locker room because that is the most important part. Absolutely. Yeah. I personally believe that the Saints locker room with Sean Payton leading as the head coach and Drew Brees as their quarterback will be able to handle that. It definitely – his comments that he was saying was were encouraging, saying that he's never held out before, that he's going to go into this season full steam. So that encourages me when it comes to the Saints. But what doesn't encourage me is the fact that people always bring up this, well, they're, they're just due. They're due. Well, they're due. Due. Well, guess what? Dues don't get you nothing in this world. You got to pay it. You know what I mean? And these guys have never came through, at least in the past couple of years. And I'm just waiting to see. And obviously, if you look at Drew Brees' numbers, maybe not obviously, but Drew Brees has not looked as great as he he once has in the past couple of playoffs, in my opinion. And I don't think that the New Orleans Saints are going to be back there personally. I do got to say that I I didn't get to go through my NFC picks but the New Orleans Saints were my pick for the second seed. And I think if they can get over that hump of the drama with Alvin Kamara, because that's the one position that I think you mentioned they're stacked on at on all positions. Alvin, I think running back is the one position where I have an issue. Mm-hmm. Definitely. You know, we talked a lot about the the Saints and as well as the Buccaneers, so that's a good segue to go into our next segment of – Who was your first seed, Will? Uh, I got to put my one seed out there as – the Seattle Seahawks. Um, All right, we okay. Well, we're kind of <laughs> agreement. Okay. All right. I, I think they look a lot better this year. I think if they can get over that 
uh, those running back issues. Like you saw, they gave it, they beat the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs without a running back that was on their roster at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely think that that's a team that if they can figure out the running back position and their defense got a little bit better this off season with the addition of Jamal Adams. So I think that's a team that's going to be very good for the next couple of years. Awesome. Let's talk more about the Saints and the Bucks week one this weekend. We got a few good matchups uh, coming in this week. We'll we got the Chiefs and Texans, which we'll talk about later. Um, Packers, Vikings, um, Browns, Ravens. But one round, we really want to spe- uh, specifically focus on are the Saints and the Bucks because those are both two teams that have extremely high expectations. They're in the same division. They got two amazing uh, and experienced uh, quarterbacks, um, and I think that this first game can say, can uh, say a lot about the, what's going forward in the season, especially with, as these two teams clash, uh, and probably would, would probably be the toughest division or one of the toughest divisions in the league. Uh, Will, we'll start with you. What are your expectations for this Week One matchup, and how do you think it'll how do you think it'll stack up going forward in the rest of the season? I think this weekend Tom Brady is going to get taken off of his pedestal. We're going to be reminded that Tom Brady is human and we're going to, we're going to see the saints win in a low scoring blowout. I'm going to give the saints like a 21 point win with the bucks not scoring over like 14 points. And the simple reason for this is that Tom Brady is a game planner. He comes in, he understands how defenses work and he makes the correct reads. I don't think that he's had the time with this team, especially with the preseason being canceled. He hasn't gotten any live reps. He hasn't gotten to see them up against anyone other than his own defense. So I think that Tom Brady is going to get taken off his pedestal this week, and I don't think that that's going to affect them in the long term because Tom Brady is a gamer and he is the GOAT. But I think that this week isn't going to end well for the – we're going to – be questioning Tom Brady at the end of this week. Oh, well, I could not disagree more, my friend. Tom Brady, Tampa Bay is going to win this Sunday. I promise you that Tampa Bay is going to prevail over the New Orleans Saints and Drew Brees. I just see that team as more explosive. I believe in Tom Brady at this point in his career more than Drew Brees. That's just my point of view. And I like the defense a little bit more, honestly. I like what what Tampa Bay is bringing to the team. I like their coaching. I love Todd Bowles, the defensive coordinator, and Bruce Arians. You're, we don't have to say anything about him in Arizona. We all know about Bruce Arians. So that's, that's my expectations. I think that Tampa Bay is going to win this coming Sunday, and they're going to win the Super Bowl, my early prediction. You already know. That's bold. Yeah, that's very bold. I mean, first season, new team. I mean, they're a good team. I'm going to give it to you. I mean, it's going to be a great first week uh, matchup to watch. I think the Bucks are going to make the playoffs. I think it's going to be a slower start because they got to get used to each other, and especially with all the acquisitions they've made you know, late in the offseason, they got Leonard Fournette. So to sort of fill that one position that they really needed that everyone was saying, you know, they got the, they got the quarterback, they got the receivers, they got the tight ends, um, and now they finally have a, a running back. Um, so I think it's going to be good. I would say the Saints do get this win. I'm going to say it's a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be pretty close. Um, but I do have the Saints winning it, you know, when, when they eventually meet, meet up again. You know, that can go in any other way, just depending. 
Um, but yeah, I would say the Saints take week one. And then, as you all know, they're my pick to be uh, the number one seed in the NFC. Yeah, I definitely agree that it's going to be a high-scoring game. I think it's going to be somewhere in the 30s for both team, both teams because I think the Saints are a good team. They're formidable. They're probably going to start the season pretty hot because they have the most continuity probably out of any team in the NFL. But I still am going to go with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's just say 34-31. Uh, that's a score I would like to see, but on the other way, but still, a high-scoring game, to me, are always a little bit more interesting. Um, let's move on to starting quarterback jobs in the NFL. Obviously, the season's starting up, as we've, we've mentioned before, and because of that, teams have to name their starting quarterbacks, and with no preseason, that may be a tall task for plenty of teams. So, we've got a few uh, starting quarterbacks that were named in the past week. Cam Newton, starting for the New England Patriots. Mitch Trubisky, starting for the Chicago Bears. We'll definitely talk talk a lot about that one. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic. He's going to be the starter week one for the Dolphins. And Tyrod Taylor being named the week one starter for the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Gabe, we'll start with you. Out of all the recently named uh, starting quarterbacks, which one is probably – which story is going to be the most interesting to you compared to the, uh, their backup quarterback and how their competitors are going to try and get that back? Well, that one is obvious to me, my friends. And I'm a little bit biased on this, so I'll just come out and say I'm a Chicago Bears fan. But it's obviously Mitch Trubisky and Nick Foles. The situation in Chicago is definitely the most heated out of any quarterback situation. This has a lot of jobs in the line. Ryan Pace, for one, Matt Nagy's job might be in the line, depending on this league this year. But Ryan Pace passed up on on Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson for Mitchell Trubisky. Trade so, for him too. Yeah, and he was. Uh, Can we named, talk about how they traded up one spot? Traded up one spot, and there was other people. He didn't even want these. He didn't even consider these. But that's that's not that's not in the discussion right now. We're not talking about that mm-hmm. at all. He passed up on these people. That's all that matters. And they named Mitchell Trubisky the starting quarterback earlier this week or about a couple of days ago. And they're really looking for him to take that extra step to secure themselves and their future of the organization. They brought in Nick Foles, who has learned, who, who was with Matt Nagy in Philadelphia not when they won the championship, but before. I think it was the year before. He was the assistant coach under Doug Peterson. So he kind of understands the system. They're paying him $22 million. They're not paying him $22 million just to sit there on the bench. I believe at some point in this year, he's going to take over, and who knows what the ramifications of that are going to be within the organization, if there's going to be any changes. I don't know any information on that, but as a Chicago Bears fan, that's what I'm looking for. All right, well, what about you? What do you think is the more interesting QB competition matchup as far as, you know, starting quarterbacks go? Well, let me start by saying I agree with everything Gabe said. I think that Mitch is going to get pulled at a certain point, and I really think that he just got the starting spot because he, they haven't had that full training camp. Uh, Foles hasn't gotten to see everything. The most interesting battle to me 
is the San Diego Chargers because Justin Herbert is one of the most interesting rookies in this year's NFL, in my opinion. I think he has a lot of upside. Hard knocks? I have not been watching Hard Knocks. Got to get on that. You see a lot of Justin Herbert on that, but I didn't mean to cut you off. You go on. I'd love to see a lot of Justin Herbert. He's a good-looking fellow. What can I say? <laughs> um, uh, but so I think he's with the lowest floor and that one of the higher ceilings of the rookie quarterbacks in this year's draft. So when he – I fully expected Tyrod Taylor to be the starter week one, but when Justin Herbert takes over, that's a big question for me. Because if he takes over in week five or week six, that area of the season, that tells me that San Diego sees their future with this kid. Whereas if it takes later in the season, if he takes over week 12 and they're like, they haven't been doing well all season and he just kind of gets thrown in. That tells me that they don't think that he's their future and that they are seeing that floor, not the ceiling that we, that a lot of pundits were talking about with that kid. So I think that that's the, the, battle that I'm most excited to see the outcome of. For sure. I mean, that is a really interesting one. I think it's one that doesn't get talked about a lot because I mean, you know, the chargers are, are a team that, you know, they're not the out the feature LA team. And as far as the NFL goes, that's, you know, that's the Rams. Um, So yeah, I think I agree with a lot of what you're saying. You know, I think Justin Herbert is their future, Um, but I got to give credit where credit to Tyra Taylor. I, I would say Tyra Taylor was a pretty good quarterback when he was in Buffalo. And I'm surprised that it took until now to get for him to get a starting job. Um, I can totally see him, you know, going the distance, running the whole season with him, and then, you know, them judging on what they want to do with him and Justin Herbert moving forward. Um, I think one that was really talked about a lot, especially, you know, once the acquisition happened was Cam Newton. You know, he's now a New England Patriot, which, you know, that's him meshing with Bill Belichick. You know, that's one that, you know, a lot of people have to sort of, you know, uh, think about for a while, you know, Cam Newton is this really outgoing, energetic kid. You know, he, he's not a kid. He's, he's old. He's like 31 now, but, you know, he still has got that energy. And then Bill Belichick's, you know, that serious, tough guy that, you know, he demands you to win and demands of you a lot. So I think it was, uh, it was kind of surprising, yet not surprising at the same time, because, you know, they, they had Jared Stidham as their presumptive starting quarterback before they got Cam Newton. And uh, well, a lot of people, even myself, thought that they were just going to run with him. You know, they felt confident enough for him to be that that starter. You know, but I do think that that Cam Newton uh, acquisition, especially for as team friendly of a deal as that was, um, I think that's huge for him, and I think that makes them yet again a favorite in the AFC East. Um, and I'll talk. I'll mention a little bit about you know Miami. You know, that's not a surprise at all. That, in my opinion, that Fitzpatrick is. He started there to, uh, you know, he's, you know, he's seems to be a hundred percent healthy now, but you know, they got to, you know, evaluate him, make sure that he's, 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 he knows his body going forward so he can avoid taking big hits like he did in college. Um, but yeah, you know, out of, of those ones, you know, what are your expectations of uh, Tua Tagovailoa and the Miami Dolphins, you know, going forward, you know, with Fitzpatrick, you know, as a starting quarterback now, where do you think that team is in maybe a few years or so? Was going to start with Will. I mean, that team, the sky's the limit for them, really. Uh, they, it, it tells you a lot about last year that they tanked. Like, they came into the season basically signaling to everybody, hey, we're just going to throw this season away. We're going to see what happens. We're going to do what we can in the draft. And they still didn't finish bottom of the league. There were still teams that finished below them. 
And part of that comes down to the fact that they're well coached. Brian Flores, probably one of the most underrated coaches in the NFL. Obviously, I shouldn't be, I maybe shouldn't be saying that with, you know, his coaching record. But in, I think in terms of the two big things that you need to figure out as an NFL franchise, the first thing is coaching. The second thing is your quarterback. And Tua has been, people have been saying Tua has been NFL ready since his freshman year of college after he came in, you know, and dominated the national championship game. So you have two, those two pieces figured out. Once Tua is healthy and he can step on the field, he's going to have Ryan Fitzmagic who has been that journeyman quarterback who knows the league better than probably anyone else, maybe Josh McCown. So that they have those two positions set up really well and the rest are going to fall into place at a certain point. I'd say that this team's going to be running the AFC East unless the uh, Patriots end up with Trevor Lawrence next year for the next couple of seasons. And I also don't agree with your pick that the New England Patriots are going to win the NFC East. I think that's awfully bold of you. But I, I didn't say they're they're going to win. I said they were still a favorite. Oh, okay, okay. My mistake. My mistake. Yeah, I mean, I thought you said they were your favorite. I was like, I was, I'll say they're going to win. <laughs> Tom Brady's not okay, there anymore. You can't say that. They're going to win. I'm going to I'm going to log off this call before you all start saying more crazy things. That's all right. We're pretty much done with this segment anyway. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, thank you guys for tuning in for this segment of the Double Double. Uh, I've been your host, Brandon Martin, also with Gabriel Dixon. Will, thank you for joining us today. Um, have a good one, and uh, we'll be right back. Welcome back to the KLJX LP in Flagstaff. This is the Double Double on KJAC Radio. I'm Gabriel Dixon, joined by Brendan Martin, as always. And it's a lovely evening. And it's another lovely evening for another person who just signed a $12 million base contract could be worth up to $15 million with the Tennessee Titans. And he goes by the name of Jadavian Clowney. This really bolstered the Titans defense, adding a, another run stopper. They have a, form, a formidable front four to that team. And they have a, a, a tremendous secondary as well as a pretty good linebacking core. Brendan, what do you think about this acquisition? I think it's a great pick. Um, obviously, I think Jadavian Clowney is always uh, a big asset for a, for a defense. Um, my worry with him mainly is uh, penalties. Hopefully, he can uh, stay out, uh, avoid getting any penalties because I think the most recent member we have of him is in the playoffs with Seattle against the Eagles. You know, knocking out Carson Wentz out of the out of that playoff game early on. Um, and it was, you know, surprisingly, he didn't get called for it. It wasn't a penalty, but I think it was pretty clear there was a, a helmet-to-helmet contact there. But, yeah, even, even besides that, you know, that's something that can be adjusted. That's something he can work on. You know, Jadavian is still, you know, one of the a very good, you know, defensive uh, assets to a team. And I think that the Titans, who, you know, have strong aspirations making it to an AFC championship last year, I think this is a great pick for them. And apparently they weren't the only ones who were looking at trying to get him to the saints were looking into uh, some sort of sign and trade too, but it was the Titans that got him. Yeah. It's really interesting too, why he joined the Tennessee Titans originally or originally he was looking for $20 million a year, really big contract money. But as you know, he's not someone that puts up big numbers. I think he had three sacks last year. He's not really that premier defensive end pass rusher. He's really, really good at stopping the run, really good at stopping the run. If you watch him 
on any play. I swear, if you just turn on the tape, he pops out on any play. He's always disruptive. He's always getting in the in the quarterback's grill or taking um, tackles for losses. Those numbers look really good from him. And it's interesting to me why he joined the Tennessee Titans. It kind of seemed to me like he was looking to get back with getting back at his former team, the Houston Texans, now getting the opportunity to play them twice a year. So I'm really interested to see that matchup. And I'm also interested to see the outcome of why he signed for such, such little money when he was originally looking for $20 million. And I believe it was less than a week before he signed the contract with Tennessee. He fired his agent and there was a lot of con, a lot of, there's a lot of rumors, a lot of talks about him joining the Saints before. And then that kind of fell through. And then he signed with the Titans for a base of $12 million. What do you think this will really mean for the Titans? And what do you think this means for the Texans, Brendan? Um, we'll start with the Titans. I mean, like I said before, I think it's a, I think it's a plus for the Titans. Um, he's not that, you know – maybe Pro Bowl, you know, level player uh, that he is now. Um, but at the same time, he can still be productive. You know, he can still stop the run, which, you know, going, going up against, you know, the Texans, you know, they have uh, David Johnson now off that trade. So that can also be a huge asset, just being able to stop the run entirely. Uh, as for the Texans, I mean, let's just put it straight. I don't, they're not going to be as great as they were last year solely because of that, in my opinion, bonehead trade that Bill O'Brien, you know, uh, materialized, you know, giving up probably the, one of the, one of, if not the best wide receivers in the league for, for next to nothing for, a, a, for David Johnson, who is good. He was good, but he's also got a really bad contract. So um, I expect, you know, the Titans are, and the Texans are still probably going to be those two ga- uh, teams butting heads at the end of the season, like they were last year. But now with, the flunks that the Texans had and the highs that the, tech, the Titans have now, I think the scouts might be tapped in the balance of the Titans now. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, the Titans last year made it to the conference finals mm-hmm. or conference championship, I should say. Sorry, I'm getting too caught up in NBA playoff basketball. And the Texans made it to the division divisional game. Right where they lost to the Chiefs. This is – I'm pretty sure that's right, right? Yeah, that's right. Brendan, yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, t- the Texans were up like 24 to nothing, and the Chiefs just came back and slaughtered them. So the Texans lose their best player on offense besides Deshaun Watson, obviously, mm-hmm. and DeAndre Hopkins. And the Titans don't really lose any significant pieces, and they add Jadavian Clowney. Do you see them really being a formidable threat in the AFC this th- this year? And that would be the the Titans I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Or do you think that they're going to regress a little bit back to the mean? And do you think Ryan Tannehill is going to show a little bit of exposure this year? Do you think Derrick Henry's not going to be as good? What do you think? So, I mean, the Titans, I think, are my favorite to win the division. But I think the AFC is just way too stacked right now uh, in terms of other divisions to where the Titans can really make a, uh, a run at something like they did last year. I think last year, you know, 
it was just they got hot at the right time. You know, they started with Marcus Mariota, and then they decided to pivot to Ryan Tannehill, and that obviously paid off, you know, amazingly for them making it to the AFC Championship game. Um, Derrick Henry, I expect him to be the league's leading rusher. I think the guy is an absolute bulldog. He just he just runs over people, and it's it's quite amazing to watch. Um, but I don't I don't expect them to be on the level of let's say the Baltimore Ravens, the Kansas City Chiefs, and even, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers who are expected to make uh, a huge run with Ben Roethlisberger coming back. I mean, listen, on a lighter note, I chose Derrick Henry in both of my fantasy drafts. I mean, he is outstanding. That guy is going to be, in my belief, one of the top three rushers this year. I loved him coming out of Alabama. They haven't really used him up too much in his career. This is the last... This this last year he had 300 and something carries, but before that he really didn't have too much of a heavy workload with Deion Lewis and the team with him. I believe in Mike Vrabel too. I feel like he's going to have his guys in position to succeed again this year. Former player for the New England Patriots. But let's transition a little bit. Let's go to the other team we were just talking about, the Houston Texans. And they just signed their quarterback to a large extension, the biggest in quarterback history and NFL history, as far as annual salary going forward in the next four years, Deshaun Watson is supposed to make four year, 160 million after his contract ends. I think it's a two year. Yeah. 18 million. I think he still has left on the books. I'm not quite sure about that, but he just signed, he just signed a, a four year, $160 million deal with the Houston Texans. And I don't really love the deal. The one thing I would say about it is I think there's a great difference between him and Patrick Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes. You can see he's in a great organization, Eric B as the uh, offensive coordinator. You got Eric, you got um, the head coach, Andy Reid. You got a great organization there proven not really to be have an extreme success, but at least to be competent. And that is the exact opposite when I look upon the Houston Texans. They're really just a disgusting franchise. I think Brian, um, why why am I forgetting his name? Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Bill O'Brien. He's a terrible coach. <laughs> I haven't seen him do anything in the past couple of years with this great talent that he's had around them. They, he's somehow acclaimed GM responsibilities since being on the team, even not, even though he hasn't showed any improvement with the tremendous amount of talent around him, trading away Deandre Hopkins even though he still had two years left on his contract, or I think it was two or three years left on his contract. I don't really understand it, but what do you think about it, Brendan? How do you okay. feel about um, Deshaun and this new contract? Uh, I mean, uh, I'll start off with what you said about Bill O'Brien. I mean, I agree 100%. I think, you know, Bill O'Brien is I know, a disgrace of a general manager. I mean, how do you trade away DeAndre Hopkins in general? Like, I don't – it's hard to think of a of – a, a comparable trade for a player like that, first of all. So, David Johnson. For David Johnson, who's you know, who's on a whose contract was like like maybe a million dollars less than Hopkins was at the time. So and then and I think the rest of that offseason kind of they're trying to like make up for that because you know 
Um, they got Brandon Cooks. Um, so they're, they're still trying to bolster that uh, wide receiving core again. But, you know, Deshaun Watson wasn't happy about that trade to begin with. You know, they're both dudes from Clemson. You know, they're both uh, probably they're both really good friends. Um, and you can tell, I think Deshaun Watson was on, you know, I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, but Deshaun Watson was out there. It was, had, you know, voiced his, you know, uh, you know, disappointment with that deal. So, um, but to, to your point about, you know, Chiefs and Texans, I'm of, the, I'm of the belief that if you go back to that trade night and you put Watson on the Chiefs and Mahomes on the Texans, we'd be talking about Deshaun Watson the same way we'd be talking about Patrick Mahomes. It's all about the environment you're in, you know. You know, that Chiefs organization is probably the, you know, the, the pinnacle of NFL organizations right now. And the Texans are just dysfunctional as everything right now. You know, it's Deshaun Watson that's carrying that team. You know, and he's going to have to do that more now, given that he's he's up down his number one wide receiver. So, oh, you know, maybe Brandon. I mean, Brandon, preach. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, Deshaun Watson is that dude. He can he can he can ball. I mean, he's like we talk about Bill O'Brien as a bad GM, and the reason that we can he has at least a case for being a good coach is because you know they've made the playoffs you know more times than not since Watson has been there. Not so, thanks to him, right? You know, it's it's been Watson carrying the load. So, you know, you put Watson on the Chiefs. You know, he's probably the one that gets that insane deal that Mahomes got earlier in this, earlier in the offseason. And I honestly really agree with you on that point. I've been saying that for a couple of years, and coming out of that draft, I think it was 2017, with those three players and the person that must not be named on my Chicago Bears. I wanted Deshaun Watson over those other three players, and Deshaun Watson was obviously the more popular player coming out of the national championship that year, beating out that Alabama team who beat them the previous year was clearly the more popular player, but there was a couple NFL analysts out there that saw this guy named Patrick Mahomes and saw his talent. But I do believe if you put Deshaun Watson on the Kansas city chiefs, they wouldn't have that much of a drop off. I still believe that they probably would have won the Super Bowl one of these last two years. One of these last two years. I just, there's something special about Deshaun Watson. When I watch him play, he makes things happen just like Patrick Mahomes does. I mean, let's not forget. I forgot. I mean, I do kind of forget. But he had, they were where they have 17 points against the Chiefs. Against like, 20, those playoffs. like 24 or something. Like 24 is either 24 or 17 or something like that. They were, they were up. And I don't believe – that's also another concern I have. But we'll, we'll transition to, into that right now, obviously, because we're talking about it obvi- already. But the Texans and Chiefs are playing this Thursday. Who you got, Brendan? Um, I mean, we, we'll just go back to, you know, the functionality of the team. I would say the Chiefs, reigning Super Bowl champions, Patrick Mahomes. They literally signed every piece that they, they had last year. They kept uh, Chris Jones, um, obviously signing, locking up Mahomes for 12 years. And they also did really well in the draft. They got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU, who reminds me a lot of Darren Sproles, who's that sort of really small, explosive running back who can have an, ins- an insane career. So it's going to be a good game. I mean, obviously you think you, get, you put a, uh, Watson and Mahomes in a game together, you're 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 down to have a great game no matter what, just like in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm gonna say the Chiefs, and I'm gonna say it's also a pretty high scoring game. Yeah, that's a really big toss up in my opinion. 
I love Deshaun Watson, and I feel like he's going to come into this game with a lot of revenge and a lot to prove. He lost his number one sidekick. Obviously, we've talked about it a decent amount in this segment already, DeAndre Hopkins. He has to deal with Bill O'Brien all day and all night, but he just signed that large contract. He's the highest-paid player in the NFL in the next two years, not this year, because he's still on his new contract. Right. But whenever he signs that next, whenever he gets on that contract, he'll be the highest, if someone isn't a free agent by then. So right now, he has the biggest contract going in the next six years. Going uh, uh, Besides that, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say that the Houston Texans are going to win this Thursday. I just believe that Deshaun Watson is going to prove that he should have been he should have been picked tenth in that 2017 draft. He's going to show that he can carry that team with Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, and David Johnson, who might have a nice resurgence this year. I don't I could see that happening. That defense looks porous. Who knows if JJ Watt's going to be showing up his injured self? But I just believe in Deshaun Watson. Do you disagree with that, Brendan? Are you going to excoriate me? I, I mean, I believe in Deshaun Watson too. Don't get me wrong. But I, I got to believe in the Chiefs' uh, offensive pieces other than Mahomes as well. I mean, you know, like you said, uh, Hopkins is out. Um, their number one receiver right now is Will Fuller, presumably. Um and also that the Chiefs will just have a, have a great defense as well. I mean, that was the question going into last season is like they have an amazing offense, but their defense, you know, isn't giving them any help. And as it turns out in the middle of last season, that defense just turned it up and they became one of the best defenses in the league. So I expect them to keep that same energy. Um, I expect them to have a solid defensive game against Watson. I think Watson will still play well, but you know, there's only so much one man can do on that team at this point. That's definitely a great point. Back, I mean, his entire career by Bill O'Brien and that organization. They ruined, what was that guy's name? David John? David Carr? They ruined David Carr and his career, well, I want to say a decade ago. And I hopefully they don't do that with Deshaun Watson. But we're going to transition a little bit here, Brendan. If you want, you can take over. We're about to be doing a little segment that we do at the end of our uh, shows. All right. Thanks, Gabe. So I'll get into it for right now. I think the biggest topic this NFL offseason was, of course, Tom Brady leaving New England, the team that he's been on for 20 years now. Him leaving, wanting something different, wanting to try something new. You know, he's, he's already 43 years old. I think he just turned 43. Uh, last month um, you only get so many but- tries in the NFL to try a new team and that's exactly what he did says he's leaving New England signs with Tampa Bay Tampa Bay of course is an entirely different environment than New England you know New England cold frigid that fan base over there is is uh, is you know rabid for their sports the expectations there have been huge for the past 20 years. Six Super Bowl rings in nine appearances for Tom Brady. He goes down to Florida now, an entirely different environment. It's warm. They don't have any cold games this year. 
the fans are, are great as well, but they're not anywhere near the same as New England in terms of philosophy. And speaking of philosophy, that sort of energy goes into the coaching as well. Bill Belichick will probably go down as the best head coach of all time, especially with this run that he had in, with New England and Tom Brady. The main question going into the offseason with now Brady and Belichick, you know, going the separate ways is who's responsible for the success they had? Was it Brady carrying that team, winning those Super Bowls? Or was it the mind, the, the big brain mind of Bill Belichick who manifested um, these Super Bowls out of thin air? We'll get those answers in these next uh, maybe year or two, depending on how long uh, Tom Brady plays. But it's also just a matter of, you know, going to a new coach like Bruce Arians. He's not going to be as rigid as Bill Belichick. He's not going to be maybe not as demanding. He'll be demanding. He'll get you, he'll get on you when you need to do your job. But he's not going to be as strict as Belichick. No one is. There's a huge, you know, yin and yang with the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. You know, Tom Brady will be forever, forever be known as a New England Patriot. That's for sure. And, you know, there are many star quarterbacks throughout the NFL's history that have moved on late in their career. Joe Montana went to the Kansas City Chiefs, went to an AFC championship. Brett Favre went to the Jets for a year, went to the Vikings, made it to an NFC championship. You know, this is the sort of thing that happens in not just the NFL, but, you know, in all sports. Michael Jordan went to the Wizards. Um, it's just that with this dichotomy, going back to the NFL, this dichotomy of the weather, the location, the surroundings, you know, he's in Florida now, bright, beautiful beaches, you know, the party life is insane. And that's where you bring in the guy, Rob Gronkowski. We all know Rob Gronkowski as the party dude. He took a year off from the NFL and what he do constant, you know, living it up did some stuff with uh, WWE and now he's back because he wants to play with Tom Brady. Gronk as well is going to have to uh, readjust that um, new coaching system. We're just going to have to readjust to his own body. He can get constantly injured before Uh, he's older now, but he also could be more refreshed from that year off. It's just, it can't be a more perfect opposite for Patriots and the Buccaneers. I mean, Patriots, New England, close to Harvard, Yale, Ivy League. The expectations are super high. You have to follow this path, and if you don't follow it and you break it apart, that can be seen as taboo. And maybe that's something that the Patriots learn to break off more with, with Cam Newton, who's not that typical quarterback, you know? And then you look at Tampa Bay in Florida, where party schools are sort of the thing. You know, the floor, that's what Florida is. It's party all day, all night. Everything's going to be more, uh, everything's going to be more relaxed, not as serious in Tampa Bay. I think that's, that's what, frankly, what Tom Brady wants. His, his legacy is cemented. You know, no matter what happens in Tampa Bay, he's going to be the best quarterback of all time. It goes into the, even into the names of the teams, the Patriots, named off of, you know, the Patriots in the American Revolution. The guys that went, above and beyond to uh, pull off an upset even greater than any upset in sports by, you know, beating England and becoming their own country. 
he went from Tom Brady went from a Patriot to a Buccaneer. And what do Buccaneers do? They're pirates. They're marauders. You know, they'll loot and steal. And just frankly, don't don't care as much. That's not to say they won't be as great, but taking that load off the shoulders is going to be something quite something else. The Patriots were like that strict father that wanted you to do everything right. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are like that easygoing mother that will console you and make sure you're doing okay even if you mess up. Gabe, what do you think? I, I definitely agree with the analysis. Very in-depth. Very very understanding of the entirety of the situation. Tom, Tampa Bay. I'm just so used to just saying Tampa Bay. It just sounds so sweet. Tampa Bay down there. They're going to be a little bit more relaxed. You can see it. They're posting more on social media all the time. Tom Brady and Gronk. They got Leonard Fournette on the team now. It just seems like they're having more fun. It seems like they're more relaxed. And up there in New England, it's more strict. Tampa Bay was not a thing in New England. You can't enjoy yourself. You get ridiculed in every pass that you mess up by Belichick, by Bill Belichick in the locker room in front of everybody. It's not really that fun, but it got them six, was it six rings? Yep. Yeah, six rings. That sounds sweet. And I think that's just the way to go, honestly. I feel like. The system worked up there. It might not work with Cam Newton. They might be doing something a little bit different. They talk about how Tom Brady was drafted in the sixth round and Bill Belichick kind of coached him up. So he was always able to kind of beat him down. But as you know, Cam Newton's the number one overall pick. He's been an MVP in the league. He's joining this team, even on a meager contract, he's joining it with a different bravado, a different swagger. This guy brings his own style of play. And I think Bill Belichick is open to it. In the past couple of weeks, I've seen Bill Belichick talk more about this guy, Cam Newton, than I've ever seen him talk about any player ever. It's actually remarkable. This guy talks about how hard of a worker is, how he is always dedicated to the game. It's really – it's. I've never seen Bill Belichick rave about a player like that. And it might be a sign that he's changing – his own style of play. So I do agree with you in your analysis, but I, I would say that the Bill Belichick way might prevail, but we'll see how it works in Tampa Bay. I still think that Tampa or Tom himself is installing some of that method in his, in his team. For sure. I mean, it's not to say that that team just doesn't care. You know, they obviously want to win and they're built to win. I mean, they were a seven and nine team with Jameis Winston throwing 30 for 30, you know, 30, it was a 33 touchdowns and 30 picks. 32. 30. I think it was like, no, it was 33, 33 touchdowns and 32 picks, I think, or something, something, something like that. that. An insane amount of interceptions that is not allowed. And that's the reason why he's, you know, a backup in New Orleans now, you know, he'll have a bite at the apple. He'll, you know, once, uh, Breeze retires, you know, maybe he'll get that shot again. But for now, it's Tom Brady's team. They have the pieces around him. And, you know, they're going to give it a shot, the best shot they can. And it's not like they haven't been trying. The team's been meeting with each other, even, you know, during these uh, COVID era times where, you know, meeting with them in person is a lot more difficult and there's a lot more risks involved. They're still doing that. And they're still going to be trying that 
uh, and doing whatever it takes to win. If it means doing, trying in a different style, that's okay. It's looking like it'll work. I think it'll work. It'll probably, there'll definitely be some bumps in the road, just like in new England with their new style, but anything that, you know, anything that's worth getting, you know, is not going to happen without having a few bumps in the road. And I think Tom Brady knows that more than anyone. It's definitely going to be an interesting season for both those teams to see how the outcome is. It's definitely a legacy on the line for both. But I believe that Bill Belichick has a little bit more on the line. You? I mean, I think Bill Belichick's going to be around for a lot longer as a coach than Tom Brady as a player. So he's got the time to sort of rebuild what he needs to do. Um, you know, with Tom Brady, um, his, his legacy solidified. I think uh, fans, uh, people, you know, they'll look at the player and then look at the coach. Um, so, you know, Brady's got a lot to prove right now, even though he's already proven a lot. You know, just being separate from Bill is great for uh, cementing his legacy if he can do well, but we'll just have to wait and see. All right. Well, that's the end of our show. Thank you for joining us, as always, on KLJXLP and Flagstaff. This is the KJAC Radio Show. Double Double with Gabriel Dixon and my co-host, Brendan Martin, as always. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next Monday at 7 o'clock. Have a nice evening.